talk is about to begin. Hey, 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 come on in. Welcome back to Buckeye Talk. Douglas Maurice Nathan Baird, Stephen Means pointed out to me post game by Bill Landis that this here in Bloomington was the site of the first post game Buckeye Talk two years ago in 2017. So a historic occasion. Uh, for Buckeye Talk and for the Buckeyes, J.K. Dobbins admitted after the game that he kind of was thinking about 2017 two years ago when he was here and he tore it up. He tore it up again today, and they're going to the playoffs. Thanks for listening to Buckeye Talk. This was the <laughs> this is what the question I sent out to the uh, texters. Uh, the texters were asked to respond to. Send podcast questions, if so desired, may include your predicted final score for the Ohio State-Clemson national title game. Um, Nathan Baird, Stephen Means, Doug Lamarie here with you guys after a 51-10 win. Uh, like, let's go – no, I was going to say, I was going to say, let's go with general thoughts. I hate general thoughts first. Let's go to Tyler Shoemaker, who somehow every single week is the first person to respond to the text call-out. Um, there's clearly something different about this team, Doug. What do you guys think it is beyond the defense? Doesn't it have to be leadership? They're more disciplined, more focused, like the program was able to hit the reset button. Actually, that's not the first question, but it's a good question anyway. Do you think – I guess I'll take that a little bit. I do feel something with these guys, and a big chunk of it is just that they are super talented because this is what it looks like when your sophomores and your juniors are the number two recruiting class in the country. But do you – beyond talent – even just maybe not in comparison, do you guys generally feel something about this team? I, well, I do, and especially if you're comparing, comparing it to last year. I know I wasn't here last year. But if you're comparing what you saw now, what you're seeing now to what you saw a year ago, there's two things to remember. Number one, yes, there's been a lot of turnover on the staff, and I think they've turned over to a lot of veteran coaches, guys who have NFL experience, um, you know, guys who can come in and, and set a different kind of standard in a lot of different ways. But number two, you also don't have some of the distractions that you had last year that bled into the season and I think probably hung around this team in some ways. Um, there there were some weird distractions at the start of the year last year. The main distraction, though, was the defense sucking. Well, um, that, so that too. it yeah. was a weird, but it was a weird thing. Steven, you were around at the end of last year. I mean, do you... I, this is an amorphous kind of intangible stuff that sports writers love to talk about. Again, you know, if they lose a game they're not supposed to lose, then we're all going to think, no, they didn't have it. But do, uh, do you get a sense? Is there a sense about this team? Yeah, I think they've got a lot of guys with some things to prove. Like, Ryan Day is replacing a legend, so he's got to, you know, I mean, can you replace a legend? That's, you know, there's the question right there. And can he do it in his way? And he seems to be doing it in his way, at least from a, a strategic standpoint. Obviously, there are some things from a culture standpoint that still exist, but like, Urban Meyer would have never done a lot of the things that Ryan Day does offensively. Defensively, they just weren't good last year. And the first step was like, the first step of anything is admitting that you have a problem. <laughs> and they had a problem. and They, they did. They had a problem, and they admitted to the, to the fact that they admitted publicly, not just to themselves, but like if you ask them, hey, was the defense good last year, they'll flat out tell you no, and they'll tell you some of the reasons why it wasn't. And all spring and all offseason, they told us some of the reasons it would be better, not just, like, the straight motivation and all that crap, but also, like, things are simplified to where they can just go play football. And defensively, we're seeing they just get to go chance to play football. A lot of the plays they're making are we just get to go make football. And then offensively, well, 
Justin Fields was a five-star guy who didn't win a job, and the guy who was right ahead of him, whether he'll ever say it publicly or not, that guy won a national championship while he was a backup. So he's got some things. Like when the only guy who's rated ahead of you wins a national championship and you're a backup, yeah, you, you feel that even if you don't want to publicly say it. Uh, Steven used the T word at the post game news conference with Justin Fields today. I did. We tried to dip our toe in that <laughs> that cool, refreshing Trevor Lawrence water. Yeah. Um, and Justin Fields wouldn't go there because Justin Fields won't go anywhere. Oops. Justin Fields won't go anywhere other than we're trying to get better and it's a good team win, which, like, on one hand is admirable, but on the other hand is, like, I want to say to him, man, like, let it rip a little bit. You're so good right now. Um, I'm going to say there are uh, – I here's what I think we're seeing. A lot of times I think tangible things turn into intangible things because when the tangible is really good, it makes the intangible feel better. And I was trying to count things up in my head. I think there are six people. I think there are six people associated with this team that are operating on a super high level. I actually think it's five people on a super high level and one at a very high level. And they are at critical positions. And those six people are most of why this team feels like this. Do you guys and it's not it's not like a trick. It's not my answer. My one of the people isn't Pete Warner, no, even though I love his neck. I love his thick neck. It can't just be his neck. Not him, but just his neck. It's one. six people and one body part. Yeah. Uh, try to name the six people that I have in my head. I think it's five super awesome and one very good. Chase Young. Chase, Chase Young is one. JK Dobbins. JK Dobbins is my very good. Okay. okay. He's the he's the one who's maybe a tiny, tiny step beyond the other five. Justin. Justin. Sean or Damon? No. Neither? Okay. Jeffrey Okuda. Jeff Okuda. So so Jeff Okuda, Chase Young, Justin Fields, who are all five-star recruits. All three of those guys are national top ten recruits, plus JK is right there. Yeah. And then two other people. And if we'll stop playing the game if you guys can't get it. No, just give us like a is one offense is is it one offense? They're not players. Ryan Day. Ryan Day. Jeff Hafflin. And Jeff Hafflin. Thank you. And that there are three guys who were among the best high school football players in the country, and J.K. Dobbins is a smidge behind him, mm-hmm. and two fairly young, innovative, great play caller, schematic guys on each side of the ball. Because I think when you have that talent, what they're doing schematically, Ryan Day with all of this under center play action, NFL wrinkles within a college spread system, Jeff Halfley, and no disrespect to Greg Madison, but Jeff Halfley, I believe, as sort of the, the leader in pairing this defense down, getting the secondary um, to play the way they're playing, I think those are six high-level people. I, and the, and intangibles follow that. that yes, might, no, yes, no. That might be a credit to Greg Madison, though. A little, and, and here's why. I think, and I may be wrong about this. Obviously, I was only here for like four games, but like it seemed like in that situation, the young guy was like, like kind of like playing Robin to the old guy on defense. You know what? The defensive you know what? I don't want to talk about Greg Madison after a game like this. I'm not. Gonna, I don't <laughs> want to cut you off. I think that's. I'm. I'm bored by him. No offense. He's good too. He's not on my list. Let's move on. We have a four. We have four thousand questions. Okay. I don't want to get into a debate about defensive credit. Um, but point taken. No disrespect. I, I agree. Point I, I, taken. But your, the point you're making is is a valid one about the, the intangibles leading to the intangibles because 
when you when you go tell a guy when you're a coach and you tell a guy this is how we do it go do it this way and the guy goes and does it that way and you get smoked right it that snowballs especially when it's happening week after week yeah. after week and it, I mean smoked by Ohio State standards they weren't one of the worst defenses in the country you mean like but, how Maryland would run for a 75 yard touchdown first play of the game those sort of, sort of things yes. Those it it, it 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 snowballs. Like I saw this happen. I've seen this happen in other sports. The teams I was covering. Like in, um, I, I think it's now you're seeing the uh, the opposite happen. I think you saw a, a pretty good debut week one, and then they made some adjustments, and then they came out and blew somebody out of the water last week, and then they made some adjustments, and then they went on the road and sort of eviscerated somebody today. And it's you can kind of feel that other momentum starting to build a little bit. But I think it's also going to – they probably also know they still need a test. And they're at least two weeks yeah. away from getting it, the real test, and it may be longer. I don't know if you guys read my third and short column on nope. Cleveland.com. Uh, it's, it's not short. It's long. No, it's not. Uh, but I just finished it because I'm a procrastinator, and I just got it done after the game today. It's about the Browns, but I always put a little lead at the top. There's something I looked up about Ohio State that I'll talk about later in this podcast that goes to the point you're making, Nathan. And people have made it that it's like eh, they still have to be tested. Because I was trying to get some context on, to me, there's a part of me that feels like I don't know. Well, I'll just get to it now. I don't know how often I felt about an Ohio State team after three games the way I feel about this team. That just like the things we talked about, there doesn't seem to be an obvious weakness. There are dynamic players on both sides of the ball. They can throw it. They can run it. They can rush the passer. They can defend the pass in the secondary. And Nathan, you've talked about how much they stopped and smothered the run today. Plus, you believe in the play caller sometimes, even with Urban Meyer and Jim Trestle, as much as they were great, unbelievable all-time coaches, great leaders of the program. Sometimes people question, like, is their offense getting stale? This offense is cutting edge in a lot of ways. Jeff Halfley is cutting edge defensively in a lot of ways. So it made me think, man, I don't know. So I looked. I think they are outscoring opponents by 107 points through the first three games. So I looked. I wondered, how many points do they outscore people by last year in the first three games? 107 points. It's exactly the same. This year it's 138 to 31. Last year it was 169 to 62. Then I thought, well, I mean, that's really good. When's the last time it was more than that? A 3 0 start where they outscored opponents by more than that it was 2016. They outscored people by like 170 points for the, through the first three games. And I remember thinking, and that one, the third win in 2016 was at Oklahoma. Yeah. They went to, to Oklahoma and ripped out Baker Mayfield's heart. To the point that he plotted a flag planting for 12 months. <laughs> so then I thought, man, I'm trying to think how I felt about that team standing in Norman that night. And I was like, man, I can't believe how good they are, which is how I feel about this team right now. Because that team was very young. It was one of the youngest teams in the country. I didn't think they were going to be a playoff team. A lot of people did. But they started to show signs of that. And then, as I noted in third and short, this is what happened to that team that started 3-0 and outscored people by 170 points and did make the playoff in 2016. In the Big Ten, they played two overtime games. They lost by three at Penn State. They won by one at Michigan State and won by four at home against Northwestern. The point being, after three games, including a win at Oklahoma, you thought, these guys are awesome. And they got into the Big Ten, and it was a dogfight. Yeah. Five games out of nine, at the end of regulation, it was a three-point game or less. So... I didn't, and when I started writing that, I was trying to get context of, I feel as good about this Ohio State team after three games as I have in 15 years. And then I was immediately reminded of like, no, you don't. You felt like this three years ago. And it got harder. 
Right. So it was it was a reminder of the stuff that you got the thing you just said. I wasn't looking for a reason to like back off the feeling right now, but it presented itself. And I think it's not a criticism of this team at all, but I do believe as you it's a worthy reminder. Yeah, and, and you know, I I read what you wrote after the game about how if they play like this, they can hang with anybody. I think that sentiment is valid, but also like they didn't really get smacked in the mouth today. They didn't really get challenged in a lot of ways today. We're still watching the beginning of this game where where they call a blitz or they or a, or or, um, or Fuller comes up to get the guy and P. Warner's going back in coverage and we're like somebody's going to throw at him someday, right? Someday, so, so, someday. So what game? Challenge. So like, for the sake of like just like playing devil's advocate here, I agree with you guys. By the way, I just you know, playing devil's advocate for the sake of debating. What game? Does this have to happen in where that goes away? Because well, I think I, we talked about that. We talked about that on the podcast, I think, last week, right? When will you believe the hype? Yeah, but now it's like, I feel like every week after every game, we keep going, yeah, but this team's a lot better than the, first, the team they played last I mean, week. They, but they're going to play. They have five, just, they have five teams on this schedule who are ranked in the top 25. Correct. And that, 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 there, those things are all correct. But we keep kind of, and even in videos, we keep kind of like prefacing things with, yeah, the team. This team is going to be better, harder than last team, and so it might not look the same. But, but and yet they I know what you're saying, but yeah. like it's not. It's Nebraska. It's Nebraska, Michigan State, and yeah. Indiana still stinks. Like Indiana has given them a game at times, but program wise, Adrian Martinez and JD Spielman and a couple other dudes that Nebraska have are just far and above what, yeah. what the first no three teams have. I mean, Indiana again. I think Indiana. In some ways, probably still was a step up from Cincinnati talent-wise, but Indiana had also had a, beaten, a half step, as it turns. Okay, maybe a half step. <laughs> had beaten Ball State, but not like in a didn't like dominate them the and, way they got dominated today. And they beaten the double one double A team. No offense to the EIU Panthers. Didn't play their starting quarterback today. Which, right. as it turned out, it was like, oh, maybe Peyton right. Ramsey's got a little something Peyton Ramsey didn't have. Anything. And that's and that's what I kind of wrote. Like, I think I honestly think more than Penix being good, I think it would have just given it would have been a more difficult thing for Ohio State to face. Yeah. A, a more difficult look for them to have yeah. faced. And we're just, we were just sitting up here the Najee Harris run where he ran over and through nine South Carolina guys on the way to the end zone. We're trying. We were just talking about this. I. What I do think is, do you guys believe it is valid to start discussing Ohio State in that manner? To start throwing Ohio State into a discussion with Alabama and Clemson and Oklahoma and Georgia and the best teams I, in the country? Well, right. I mean, I, I think so just because, like, those teams are doing what they're supposed to do against teams they're supposed to do it against, and Ohio State's doing the same. Right. Yeah. At that, very minimum, exactly. that is what's happening. Exactly. That's right. I think there, there's a, a small group. Uh, Tom Allen said it after the game today. He said, um, you know, there's, there's eight teams in the country right now that are brought up in that conversation yeah. and Ohio State is absolutely one of those teams. And I think it might be less than eight. And they think. have been they have been. The whole Urban right. Meyer era they were. They didn't right. finish lower than seventh in the final playoff rankings. And they have been all this offseason, all this season so far. I mean they've but been consensus I, one of the top five. When you do teams. what you're supposed to do against teams you're supposed to do this against, it helps. And and not to we're not gonna devolve into this, but I wasn't a hundred percent sure that they would retain that right away this year. Mm-hmm. So I think that discussion, that's what it's all about. Be in that discussion. They're 100% in that discussion. And I, that discussion's fun. So that's, we can have that discussion a lot on this podcast and at Cleveland.com. Can Ohio State win a national title with an elite defense, an elite running game, and a quarterback who occasionally misses wide-open receivers? Billy from Kansas in the 316. Steven, what, what, 
To what degree was that at all concerning to you today? Because as you mentioned in the post-game video, you noted some of his misses when we were here in the press box. I said, back off, my guy. And then Ryan Day agreed with you in the post-game. Like, did that raise any... They were what they were today. Did that raise any red flags for you for against Nebraska and Michigan State and Northwestern and Wisconsin and Penn State and Michigan when maybe missing a, a throw on third and six will have more consequence than it did today? Yeah, because big plays matter. And some of those were big plays that, like, like he said he left yards. I think with big plays, sometimes you're leaving points on the field. And that's, like, whether it's a field goal or, it's a, touch, or a touchdown, like, that one he missed on Chris Alave, he's probably down at the 20 if he gets tackled, which means at bare minimum you're in field goal range, which means you left points out there. And when you're point, like, And then there were two on third down. Right. And then, and then, they, on both of his – obviously one was dropped by Dobbins, but the other one he just overthrew Austin Mack, and he came right back to Brandon's possession and got, got a touchdown. But, you know, let's say they're in the playoffs and you're missing all those type of opportunities. Well, Clemson and Alabama and Georgia, they're not missing those type of opportunities. Oklahoma, they're not missing those type of opportunities. So those opportunities do matter as, you know, the competition rises a little bit. Well, I mean, they will miss them occasionally, too. Nobody's perfect. Yeah, but yeah, it's, yeah. it's but a like, matter of there was an accumulation of them today. I mean, I don't want to be this guy, but, you know, yeah, you just, to do just in fields and accuracy basically cost me my um, crazy prediction of Chris Olave getting 150 receiving yards today. Um, I'm not bitter, it, but it happened. Um, but, but, no, it's, it's, it's an accumulation of things. It's... It's, you know, okay, so you miss the – he throws the one third down pass behind Olave, and I can't remember if they had the – if that – is that led to the field goal? As a missed field goal. Okay. And then – so that one was okay. He was kind of pushed a little – he was kind of flushed a little bit, threw it on the run, it was behind him, whatever. The next time, Olave's wide open, no one there, and he sails it over him. And Olave had to jump for it. He couldn't – he got his hands on it, but couldn't bring it down. Yeah. That one I think they had to punt. They had to punt. That was their third drive. And, and then, that, they had gotten two first downs on that drive. They were moving the ball pretty right. well, and all yeah. of a sudden you missed that and got punt. And, the, and then the deep one they just didn't hook up on. I mean, it's, it's, it's just one of those things where like, I, I agree with Steven that it, against Indiana, which didn't have the firepower to turn those possessions into something else, um, it, it didn't kill you. But and the next team you play could. Well, not the next team they'll play, but <laughs> other teams on this schedule could. And then on top of that, it's going to potentially happen more frequently because there's going to be more teams that can bring more pressure than Ohio can bring. There's going to be teams that have better defensive backs. I'm sorry, than, than Indiana could bring. Better defensive backs than Indiana has. Um, those guys were a lot of times a, a step behind all day. Um, some of it because they were biting on, on play action, some other things. But they're just... I'm impressed today. I don't want to. I don't want that not to come across. I've been more impressed each game I've watched Ohio State play, but I also have not been very impressed each team they've played. And I feel like I, I'm still waiting for. This isn't the standard we're judging Ohio State by. Whether they can beat Indiana even by 41 points on the road is not the standard you judge Ohio State by. It's how. What ultimately happens against those other seven teams we were just talking about? I think in the first three games, this was the first one where, like, Justin Fields had some moments where you're like, okay, if they were playing a better team, this would have cost them. How has this team found their identity this quickly from the 6-1-4? This person also predicts a 420-0 Ohio State victory over Clemson in the national title game. What what is their identity? People like to talk about identity. I don't know if you guys like identity conversations. Coaches like identity conversations. Um... I'm not sure I know what their identity is. I mean, I think there's part of it that's defense-related, but it's like, I don't know. Do you, but do you feel like they are settling in that 
maybe, again, and at some point, like, I think we can move the discussion. They can only play who they've played. They've looked really good against these three teams, and we yeah. know it's going to get tougher. But do you feel like you at least know on a given Saturday how they're going to attack somebody? Do you have a good sense of that now? Well, no, I think that's going to change week to week, and it goes back to you know trusting the guys like you talked about before that that know how to, to do to scheme this. But I, right now, if I had to pick an identity for this team, I think it's trust the talent. Like they're just they know they have this talent, and they're kind of getting out of that talent's way, putting it. You know, it, yes, there's a defensive scheme, but they simplified it and told these guys run to the ball, play hard. That, it, that sounds so simple, but I think that's ultimately what they're relying on, is that you don't necessarily have to give Chase Young some complicated way to get to the quarterback. He's a grown-ass man, and he's going to get to the quarterback. They've got a whole... But in football terms, yeah. compared to the other people he's on a football field with, yeah. he's the man, and those guys are like me. I mean, they're just... Not quite that bad, but I mean, he's going to eat those guys alive. I mean, that's you don't have to scheme that. You don't have to scheme necessarily a lot of Chris a lot, or uh, uh, Josh Acuna, uh, Acuda, you know, making Jeff Acuda, Jeff Acuda, Jeff Acuda uh, you know, um, making big plays in secondary. I mean, he he's talented. He's going to go out there and do that on his own. I think right now, I just feel like that's the identity of this team is that they have said we trust the talent that's here, and we're going to. Put that talent in the in position to succeed, as opposed to try to orchestrate something. I, I think there's more of an identity offensively right now, and that's J.K. You say you want to do this, that, and the third. Well, we're going to give you the ball and give you a chance to do this, that, and the third. I think the defense has just been dominant, and part of that is there is has been a talent gap. I think Nebraska is where we'll see like like where the real defensive identity is at. From the eight one three, what's the first real test? Nebraska, Michigan State. I think we you know we've talked yeah. about that. I think it's the double dip of that. Certainly, I think Nebraska. No matter what Nebraska has or hasn't done so far, I think that'll be part of it. Ohio State 24-20 over Clemson in the national title game. People are actually giving us national title game scores. I love it. Um, from, from the 3-3-0, well, I said I, – I assumed it was going to be Ohio State-Clemson. Because, <laughs> okay. I mean, we could write Justin Fields with his Trevor Lawrence for a month. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, uh, nice. That would be amazing. The, um, the, the misses – this person's asking about the 3-3-0. Justin Fields missing some throws in the third quarter – do we think he was wound up from after halftime, a little bit of pressure or anything? I do think there's been a great debate. Ohio State has had times in the recent past when they've missed deep balls a lot, and there's been a lot of discussion about, you know, you don't want to overthrow a deep ball because if you underthrow it, at least you give your guy a chance to come back and get it. He did overthrow one by a little bit. He talked about some footwork things. Um, he is – I never thought he – I mean, he's not a run-first guy. I think some people mischaracterized him coming in here. He's a thrower. He has a really good arm. I questioned him just as a young quarterback in a new system. I think he's really accurate because he puts a lot of 15-yard outs right on guys' hands. I, I do not have long-term questions, at least right now, about his accuracy on intermediate throws or, or deep balls. So, like, I'm not that worried about it. Everybody misses deep balls sometimes. They're hard to hit. Um, but I do think he mentioned some footwork stuff. Post game, it makes me want to go back and watch the film and see like, did he not step into it? Did he have a little bit of a rush in his face? Did he just kind of short arm it or whatever? So I think there's some stuff there, but to me, it, it, to me, it's not. It's far less of an issue. I thought he might be mistake prone. I thought he might um, throw picks, and I thought he sailed a couple today. So I'm curious to see if there's a. Uh, a pattern at all to that, but but I have not felt that. I do not come out of this game think. Do you come out of this game, Stephen, thinking 
Justin Fields has an accuracy problem? No, honestly, I think he might have been like misdiagnosed as a high school recruit. Because I remember the first when we did I had a whole Justin Fields week back in the spring and we talked to guys and people I talked to, they all said this is a guy with an arm who just happens to be able to run. And he's being used that way. As if yeah. like he's a guy with an arm. What do you mean arm. misdiagnosed at a high school? Like I don't know if he's a dual threat by like just be, I think the, the the name dual threat at this point has become this like it's a running quarterback. It's and he can run. He can run, but they like, haven't asked him to. Yeah, and I don't even think it's his first option. I just think like in high school, obviously he was the best athlete. Well, they're choosing not to run him in the run game. Yeah, and some of that is because of like what's behind him. They can't afford to get him hurt. He had some stuff in high school where I thought he would wait for the pressure to come and take off. Yeah, like, he has he not been doing that do. as much. He did that game one, but since then, like it's like he's kind of calm down. When he takes off, he takes off the throw. Yeah, even yeah, it's all like it's yeah. <laughs> which is which is a big difference. Which is ironic because his first ever touchdown was a fifty-one yard touchdown. I think he, I don't think he's had a run anywhere near. But that was a, that was a zone read, right? And they still and run even, that really well. They ran a great zone read at the goal line where Justin Field was all by himself because yeah. he froze the defensive yep. end with the fake and walked in. And yeah. like again, that's there when they want it. They just haven't wanted it very much lately, or yet, or yet. It. But they'll and and that is a good thing to have in your back pocket for yeah. when you do need it. I saw Cam Brown and Brendan White more early in the game. Um, was it more of a specific adjustment? Um, let's see from the six one four. So Brendan, so Cam Brown was only in because Jeff Okuda got hurt. That yeah. is not a rotation or anything at corner. I thought we did see Brendan White earlier and a little more than we had, right? Yes. And they said that would happen as well, just because like based on how Indiana plays. Yeah, because Indiana wasn't playing much twelve personnel. It was a lot of eleven personnel, and that matches up more with the bullet as we expected it. And and the one thing, not that we didn't know this necessarily, but as much as Pete Warner, yes, Pete Warner was playing safety in a two deep safety look at times today. Yes. Brendan White, when he was in there, played linebacker. Like when they were lined up across, it was the Will linebacker, the Mike linebacker, and the Sam linebacker, right. Brendan White, right. in a row with the linebacker. He was not a little bit behind him. He was not out in space. He was just playing linebacker. So I know the bullet is a linebacker, but there is Pete Warner and Brendan White do the same thing. The yeah, only yeah. difference is their body size. Everything else about them is the same. Because of their body size and their previous experience at Ohio State, they call them different things. They play the exact same position. There was a moment because they had a look maybe on the third series where Borland was out and Baron Browning was in for Borland. Malik Harrison stayed on the field because Malik Harrison's best linebacker. He plays the most. Malik Harrison's at will. Instead of Borland at Mike, it's Browning. And then instead of Werner at Sam, it was Brendan White. And if you, you can't tell me that there was anything else going on there, it's just it's the same thing. So whatever. Yeah, I, I, I feel a little... I haven't exactly figured out how we're supposed to term. lied to you, you. No, no, no. Sorry. I just I don't feel like how we're supposed to use terminology because again, it, it is it's you know Pete Werner. We talked, we had him in um, for midweek interviews this week. He insists I'm a I'm a Sam linebacker. I'm not a bullet. Right. But Brendan White, anytime you talk to him, he actually he talks about it like it's a linebacker. Right. It is. So so maybe there is no bullet. That's the thing that it might be the case. They maybe might Brendan not White's a just a linebacker. He's now. just a linebacker. He's just a little linebacker. They just wanted a little linebacker. I mean, like, Darren White was a little linebacker. He was a high school quarterback. They didn't call him anything yeah. crazy. They didn't call him the widget. He was just a high school well, quarterback who turned into a good linebacker. A little linebacker. That's the what widget. He did. A, the chisel. Right. It's Sam linebacker and little, little Sam. 
Big Sam Do you Wilson. think there's somebody in America whose name is Sam Linebacker? I hope so. Like there's that guy on that, that commercial. It's like, Sam and Will Linebacker. Yeah. Right? And Mike, the triplets. Come find me at Steven underscore Beans. I want to talk. There has to be. There are absolutely brothers in America named Sam, Will, and Mike Linebacker. And they play Sam, Will, and Mike Linebacker. And like Mike Linebacker no, is like, I would be much better in space. I don't want to have to make the defensive call. <laughs> but my name that. is Mike Linebacker. Um, one thing that I don't like, this is the 6-3-0. One thing I don't like is fields running too far backwards against pressure that can bite you against good teams. National championship score, Ohio State 43, Clemson 21. <laughs> um, I don't have a problem with it. Do no. you guys have a problem when Justin Fields is running around backwards trying to make a play? No, I think that's like how they've taught him to do it. Because over the summer at one-day camps, Mike Yersich was kind of instructing recruits to do the same things on escape drills. So I think that's how they want him. I think he may be running a little farther back than they were, but he's also a better athlete than those guys were. So no, I don't have a problem with it. Yeah, and again, I think I, judging Justin Fields is a week-by-week. Week, it's different than right now judging J.K. Dobbins or judging um, some of the other veteran guys on this team. I just feel like for we maybe as, as impressive as Fields has looked, I, you, you, I guess you are giving him this, this qualifier because you talked about how you weren't sure how he would just come onto the scene and be able to handle all of this and how quickly they would all come to him. And to me, that's been the thing is to kind of watch week-to-week, week, like, what did you learn from the game before, and how do you apply that to the next game? I thought you saw that very crystal clear between the first two games. I thought he was just a lot sharper against Cincinnati than he was the first game. Or not a lot sharper, but you saw a progression. And I don't know if I saw that progression between the last game and this game, but I do think this was a different different level of athlete. It's a different challenge. You're going on the road. It's, it's very unfamiliar to you. So how does he then apply what he learned today watched, when he watches film today? How does he apply that to, again, sorry, Red Hawks jumping right over you. How does he apply that to two weeks from now in Lincoln? Skipping over a scrimmage. No, they're not listening anyway. The, uh, they better not be. they got a lot to practice between now and next Saturday. We did, a, we did a post-game video that you guys can watch on our YouTube channel where we graded Justin Fields. We do that every week. Subscribe to our YouTube channel. Uh, Steven wore a red shirt today. It just pops on the video. I look amazing. But Steven also thought that I had worn the same plaid shirt uh, to two consecutive games on two consecutive Saturdays, which, like, I would never do. I don't quite have a calendar of my shirts to keep track of when I wear them, but I absolutely would never allow myself to wear them on consecutive Saturdays. So I had to pull Steven aside and explain how... (laughs) All my various shades of teal plaid shirts are different. They just can look the same if you're not paying attention. So maybe I'll get Steven a calendar of my plaid shirt rotation. What does? Uh, but I gave I gave Justin Fields an A because I liked a little bit of the looseness today. I thought he looked menacing. I thought he looked like a guy that a defense would not want to face. I thought he was just like a little like making some plays, running around a little bit more. Like when he's running around there in the back, you know. 10 yards behind the line of scrimmage, there's some danger in that. And then, you know what? If you're dangerous, sometimes you overthrow a dude. I get it. But come back, like, you come back on the next snap, and the defense is still really scared of you. And so I thought he was scary in a good way if he was less perfect. He was more, this was like bad boy Justin Fields. We saw good boy Justin Fields last week. Last week, Justin Fields got all A's on his report card. Today, Justin Fields got on this motorcycle and went and got a milkshake. Um, 
What does Ryan Day need to do to make sure this team doesn't get a big head over these next two weeks from the 3-3-0? I have a take on this. What's your, what's your take on the Ryan Day keeping the attitudes in check? The same thing they've been doing at Ohio State since Ohio State became Ohio State. I mean, this is why you have things like the champions, which I think is kind of whatever. I think it's kind of borderline <laughs> silly a little bit. That, that they release it and they put it out there in a PR, whatever. But it, it does have value within your locker room, potentially, to keep people reminded that, yeah, you just went and hung a 50-burger on somebody, but you weren't good enough to be a champion that day, whatever that means, that nebulous champions qualifier, the, the grades that they have. I mean, it keeps the, the people in your locker room focused beyond just what the result was of the score, the team-wide result. It keeps people focused on their individual performance in a, in a way that it contributes to that eventually. Uh, Michigan State is losing to Arizona State 3 nothing at the end of the third quarter. So we might be in week nine saying, what will Ohio State get tested? <laughs> I told you. <laughs> well, that's, that's a valid thing. I mean, <laughs> yeah. at some point... Um, Penn State, it's like, well, week 11 is Penn State, who, like, barely almost, beat. Yeah. Like, that's why, it's why I asked the question. What if they don't get tested? What if they don't get tested until the national championship game? Well, here we are at the national championship <laughs> game. This Ohio State team has not truly been tested <laughs> in this horrific Big Ten. Um, no football questions. Oh, here's my thing on Ryan Day. I think Ryan Day has doing a really good job of it because I've joked about that Justin Fields won't tell us anything. I think Ryan Day has something to do with that. I think Ryan Day is keeping these dudes, like, on the – be cool. You haven't proven anything. I, I actually, I think it's a reasonable thing to be worried about with teenagers and 20-somethings getting full of themselves. I think Ryan Day might have a knack for handling that. At least he has so far. No football questions in the 952 because they look great. But what's your take on the Chick-fil-A versus Popeye's spicy chicken debate? I'm a Chick-fil-A guy till I die, but Popeye's is pretty good. We stopped, Stephen and I popped, stopped at Popeye's on the way to Indianapolis so I could try to get a spicy chicken, which I have not had a chance to get yet. There were mimeographed copies taped to the cash register that said they were sold out. So I got spicy tenders, got in the car. We drove like 15 miles. And I thought, man, we're in Dayton already. Look at that. Dayton is bigger than I remembered. And we were coming back up on Columbus because I was so enamored with my spicy tenders, which are good. I can't imagine how good the spicy sandwich must be because the spicy, the spicy strips are good. I drove the wrong way on the highway for like a 20 miles. I drove back to Columbus, then we had to turn back around. What so sauce did you get with the strips? Because I also went to Popeye's on my way out here yesterday. I, you, fit, you fit right in here, man. It's like you, independently, we got the same I, fast food. There's a reason I've been bringing this up, because which, which sauce I'm sauceless. Ew. Now, see, I am often sauceless. That's true. Ew. I'm so, when I'm driving, especially. Should you eat dry chicken? Yes. I when love I'm dry driving, chicken. When I'm driving, especially, because I don't like, okay, I don't want, like, the sweet and sour sauce dripping off of my nugget onto yeah. my shirt and stuff. But I did, this time, get the, whatever kind of mustard it is that they have for honey the dipping mustard. sauce. It's not honey mustard. It was, like, some kind of other spicy mustard. Fantastic. It was, like, a little horseradish in there or something like that. I could drink a jar of that. It was great. Let's do that. On the future podcast, Nathan will drink a jar of uh, spicy horseradish, whatever it is. I, I That's why I like the spicy tender, because I like the spice in the breading. Yeah. I don't want to bring... I want... I don't want to... I think I've... I've been doing this podcast long enough. I think I'm repeating a dipping sauce take that I probably <laughs> had in 2016. If I have a sauce, I want it, I want the kitchen to put it on. Like, I like a good buffalo sauce, uh-huh. but I don't want to dip it. I don't want it in a container that I'm dipping it in because that's like fraudulent to me. I want it whipped up in the kitchen and put on by them so that it's part of the meal. 
I don't sauce myself. I do not. I'm not a self saucer. I mean, maybe someone else wants to sauce themselves. That's not how I do it. But again, especially driving, now you got it all over your fingers and stuff. That's not going to work. I, I got to protect my teal plaid shirts. I only have eleven of them. Would love to hear Doug's thoughts on Demario being passed by Teague, but more honestly, the game plans week to week seem to be changing on offense. Aside from Chris Olave being the clear playmaker down the field, is this a balanced approach or the true future of the offense? Will we continue to see passing on third and short? Pete Capo. So I do think it's going to change, right? We've seen that. Like Jeremy Rucker looked like a breakout star in week one. Jeremy Rucker, I don't think, has done anything. I don't know if he's been targeted in the last two games. Uh, they did. Um, he was not targeted today. They did target Farrell and um, Barry. No, and Barry, but all three of the other tight ends. Hausman? No, no, yeah. no, no, no. Uh, Farrell, Rucker, and, and Hausman all got targets. Today. Did Rucker get one? Okay. He got one. Okay. I thought Barry got one also. He did not. Um, but I, I, you're right. I mean, they're, they're not really targeting the tight ends that much. In general. But it seemed like after week one, it was like, the year of the tight end is here. But I think I, we that's, thought it might be, yeah. that's to the point of Brian Day finds matchups. Yeah, yes. I think yeah, I think that had more to do with Florida Atlantic than it did Ohio State. But, and not just but not just not like Florida Atlantic from the standpoint of they're not very good, but just no, how just, they defend them and maybe there'll yeah, be a tight end day again down the road. Yeah. That's yeah, I can, I can totally see, you know, Luke Farrell's gonna have his four catches, fifty yards, and a touchdown game at yep. some point. And then next week it could be uh Rashad Berry that has that game. I mean, who knows? It's it's gonna be the matchups. Uh, I am. I, I don't know how anybody could be not okay with Master Teague passing Demario. It just makes sense if this is what Master Teague is going to be. Demario, when they were trying to make the point of Demario as like a between the tackles, every down, true backup mm-hmm. running back, it just didn't necessarily feel like that's what Demario was. He's a return guy. You'd hope they can still find ways to get him involved in the passing game. But I don't know that anybody could have any problem with Master Teague taking over as a number two running back. Ryan Day certainly seemed to indicate, I think in not so many words, but reading between the lines after the game, that's done. Master Teague is a number two running back. And if they need him, I think if they need him, they wouldn't be afraid to go to him. If something happens, if JK's tired or JK needs a breather or, you know, they have a long drive at Nebraska in the middle of the second quarter and JK turns his ankle or breaks his shoelace and you have to put in Master Teague on second and six and hand him the ball. I don't think they'd have a problem doing that at all. So replay this game and just flip those two running backs. Master Teague gets J.K. Dobbins' carries. J.K. Dobbins gets Master Teague's carries. How different is their I think J.K. Dobbins is better than Master yeah. Teague. Uh, you gotta, like, I, but I don't think that's a unanimous opinion. I think you said this. Look, we were having this conversation. You have to take into like, account that J.K. Dobbins is like the only one who's going against like the fresh of fresh with defense. Master Teague is coming in when the defense is already That's been worn fair. down yep. a little bit. Now, to be credible, Master Teague has as many yards today as he did an entire season last year. And he, like, he's averaging seven and a half yards per carry this year. So he's been great in his carries. And I think he's great in that role. But, like, he's not, he's also, like, he's taking advantage of the fact that he's fresh and the defense isn't. Right, but, but so is J.K. Dobbins because he's getting his stuff. But he's also the one wearing them down in the first place. It's, so, a, it's almost that's like, fair. It's I, like I do think I think J.K. Dobbins is better than Master Teague, it, but I think it's not a huge gap. No, it's like he loosened up the jar, and then like Master Teague comes and pops it off. But again, I'm saying if you were to if you were to flip those, now it's Master Teague who is uh, so not exactly a pushover is in there early on, wearing down the defense, think, and then and then taking advantage of that. I the think same the stats way. would be the exact same. It would just be like well, J.K. Dobbins' name would be under Master. Which Teague. is your point. That was kind of what I was getting at, okay. yeah. That if you flipped him, Master Teague could do what J.K. Dobbins did. Against I, Indiana. Yeah, I would disagree with that. I think J.K. is better. whatever percent yeah. better than if... 
I don't know what J- – I know JK because I, I checked it out because I talked to JK and, and Nathan, you talked to uh, – did you do a lot? No, you did a I talked to Chris Olave. I talked talk to Master. And you talked to Master. I was like a little bit. I think Dobbins uh, got the ball 11 of the first 18 plays today. They were definitely trying to get him the ball. They threw him the ball in the first play of the game. He ran it after that. And, and he wasn't busting huge things. He was getting four, five, nine, five, or whatever. He was getting some hard yards, and that does wear a defense down. I still think there's a difference there. Uh, I thought J.K. played well today. Also, I, again, though, if we're holding this team to a national championship standard, you can't drop touchdown passes in the end zone if you're J.K. I Rock. thought Justin threw that too hard. He did, yeah. I thought he could have feathered it. He was yeah. so wide open, you could almost throw it underhand, and yeah. he didn't. I, yeah. Now, you still got to catch it. I don't know. It's but, probably still more on J.K. You got to catch it. But... But you don't have to bullet it in there when he's wide open like that. It's uh, I thought Justin, as much as I said I don't have a problem with I think Justin I don't think Justin's inaccurate. We talked about this a lot in the preseason. The difference again, KJ Hill, the very first very first day of spring practice, KJ Hill said Justin Fields has a stronger arm than Dwayne Haskins. And some people were like, What? I believe, yeah. And it's it's I not that. and that is I mean, who would know better than uh, KJ Hill would know better than anybody. Yeah. Um, but Dwayne Haskins, and I wrote it multiple times, Dwayne Haskins is like a veteran pitcher who has a bunch of pitches. Dwayne mm-hmm. Haskins can throw hard. He can put touch on Justin it. He can lead you. I think Justin is a little bit of more of a nucleouche right now. He's got to pull it back a little bit. That was an example of that. You're so wide open. Like, literally, throw it like a pillow so no human could drop it. He, sl- he opened the door for it to be dropped by not throwing enough of a pillow. And that's fine. It's not the end of the world, but I think it's one way he can learn. I don't think it's inaccuracy. I think it's some degree of touch. Execution. I just I still don't understand how he gets an A after you fracture all of those things that you're Danger. Because he rode a motorcycle and got a milk Somebody needs to feel dangerous for him right now. Okay? I would never ride a motorcycle. I've never been on a motorcycle. They are dangerous. I do not approve of it. But if Justin Fields wants to get on a motorcycle and ride through this stadium... I'm there for that. Have you guys been on a motorcycle? No. No. I like my life. Now, there are people out here who listen to motorcycles, and if you choose to do that, that's fine. I would not trust myself. I don't know how you stay on a motorcycle, but I'm pretty sure I would fall off. It's Chris Olave emerging as the clear number one receiver from the 440. Three catches for 70 yards today. Five targets today, I think it was, too. I think he had the most targets on the team. Um, I I think, again, I think that's going to be matchup dependent. I think he was matched. He they liked the matchup he was getting today. Some some scenarios played out, especially you know the touchdown pass. Like we said, they had run the ball five consecutive times leading up to that, and then they went play action on that pass, and then that guy had no chance. He bit, and then it was done. Um, so that again, some of this is matchup dependent. But I think what is exciting if you're an Ohio State fan is somebody like Chris Olave. Instead of what I think was happening maybe a year ago where he would kind of flash these things, it's starting to become a lot more consistent. And I think we said before the season that it was when those kinds of players start turning those flashes into something more consistent, that's when this team's ceiling really starts to rise. Two things. One, I think Ben Victor has once again quietly had a really solid day, four targets, four catches for 66 yards. Right. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. Second thing, I think Chris Olave has Devin Smith in this offense potential. Where, like, we need a big play, Chris Olave, you're going to get the ball. Because he has found, he has constantly found a way in one on, one-on-one situations to get himself open. They haven't thrown quite as much stuff in the middle of the field. They hit K.J. Hill on a crosser today that yep. made my 
ears perk up a little bit, like, oh, that looks familiar. Um, I do think it's possible the way the offense evolves that Victor and Olave on the outside become the two guys who that uh, when when it's money time, uh, they're the guys getting the ball. And as they keep attacking those guys more, it maybe opens something up in the middle for the tight ends that we were just talking about. KJ Hill, a Mac if they keep using him as an H back, that sort of thing. Did you get to have dinner with Joel Klatt? Does he know you have a man crush on him? How awkward was it? I mean, I texted Joel. I said I'm available anytime in the next 18 hours. He said, "Ah, oh, I have to study for the game for the next 18 hours. Catch you next time." You know, sometimes best friends just can't hook up because one guy's busy. Um, but we will be together for the mock playoff selection, and I'm sure he'll have an excuse not to eat dinner with me then either. I'm kidding. Joel Klatt doesn't know who I am. Um, do you ever eat gas station food? We picked up, we met Nathan in Indy because Nathan is still in the process of moving. So Stephen and I drove over. Nathan drove separately. We got together in Indy to drive to Bloomington, and Nathan picked a lovely gas station for us to meet in. It had an Arby's, but it also had a buffet. It had four soups, and for the first time ever, I wanted to eat a gas station buffet. Would you eat a gas station buffet? Oh, 100%. I almost ate that one. I, I wasn't even hungry. The sheets count as God's gas station food? Yes. yes. Okay, because I went to Kent State and there's sheets everywhere. Like, literally, the apartment complex I stayed in has sheets across the street. So, yeah, I've had a lot of gas station food. I'm a big fan of sheets. What's the, is there an Ohio, I guess they have well, sheets, sheets in Ohio. Is there they're in North, yeah. yeah, they're yeah. in the, like, northeast Ohio. I knew it as, like, a western North Pennsylvania North. thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah for sure. Yeah. And then migrating. Should there be a concern if fields goes down? Yes. Yes. For yes. sure. Yes. Oh, yeah, um, totally should, like, what's, what's. What's a word beyond concern? Yeah. Um, Olympus has fallen. Yeah. <laughs> okay. The, the, uh, was Ryan Day from the 616, was Ryan Day intentionally trying to give J.K. a good day to boost his confidence after he took criticism from some delusional Ohio State fans? I asked J.K. about this. I think Ryan Day has played a motivational game publicly, privately. I think he's really – it's, it's almost like one of the first, like, Ryan Day head coach kind of things to me is that that's not a thing you have to do as an offensive coordinator. I'd ask Ryan Day nine questions about it if we had a chance to do it. I wanted to sort of ask him, like, you know, you know quarterbacks, but now you're in charge of running backs too. Is J.K. a guy that you've really tried, like, tried to develop your relationship? Because I really think he has been pulling something out of J.K. For the first three games, I think of beyond the X's and O's, I think the most intangible thing perhaps – that Ryan Day has done is find a way to tell J.K. Dobbins, we need you, we're going to rely on you, we're giving you the ball, 11 of the first 18 carries, this game, go. And I asked Ryan Day, is that part of why you did that today? Not just to win the game, but to do that. He said, yeah. So I don't, I don't think he's trying to give him a good – it's not like here's a softball. I think it's a test. I think they're all challenges and tests to this guy. Can you do this? Can you be our guy? Here, go be our guy. And I think after not rising to the challenge in week one, I think he has risen to the challenge in week two, and I think they are in very good shape with this running game you know, right now. Because you remember coming out of week one, and he's been repeating it kind of since then. It's been a lot of this, well, the, the fits just weren't there, even yep. though the offensive line graded out as champions, all five of them from the first game. But the fits just weren't there. It was kind of a funky game, he keeps saying. like So I, it's felt like he's like stopped short of just saying that he didn't run well that first game. But I, I think you're right. I think there probably had to have been a conversation with someone to be like, listen, we're giving you ball, the ball, whatever it was at the game, 22 times, and you're not getting 100 yards against Florida Atlantic. Like, that's not who you say you are. That's not who we say you are. That's not who you supposedly are. Like, you've got to be up at this level that he's been the last two weeks. I mean, I was, I'm experiencing all this J.K. Dobbins stuff um, 
at this this close for the first time because I didn't get to watch him this close in the past. But you know, we had this discussion on one of these videos or podcasts. I remember going back after that first week to be like, "What's the deal?" And I mean, and at the time, I said, "It's just it's all about production. Like if he produces." He should keep getting the ball, and that's what he's done the last two weeks. But I think you're right. I think it's cyclical. I think it's the when he gets the ball and, and they establish that confidence in him, I think it helps him keep getting the ball. I agree with Ryan Day. I think they put way too much on it during the offseason. Like, obviously it was warranted, but they put so much on it, and then it just didn't happen week one. And so it's like, man, that was just really weird, but we don't think that's going to be all season, and it's been better since. Uh, this is a national title game prediction from the 3-2-1. 9-3 Ohio State, 31. 14-0 Clemson, nothing. Uh, yes. Over, under NFL draft picks on the starting defense from Harold B. in the 858. Let's run through this real quick. Is Jordan Fuller an NFL draft pick? Yeah. Yes. Is You're just Jeff- saying just draft picks. Just any of the yep. seven rounds. Yeah. Yep. Is Jeff Okuda a draft pick? Yeah. Is Sean Wade a draft pick? Yes. yes. Is Damon Arnett like, is it like in okay. general? Oh, in general, in, in the upcoming year. I, I think I think will be drafted by like when they leave Ohio State. Okay, yeah. Is Damon Arnett a draft pick? Um, yeah. yes, Probably. Yes. Yes. Is Malik Harrison a draft pick? Yes. Is Tuff Borland a draft pick? No. I say maybe no. Is Pete Werner a draft pick? No. Hard to tell. I've seen guys like that get picked. Brian Roll got picked. Ross Homan got picked. They Again, say he's more athletic than we think. About... I'll say yes on Pete Werner. Okay. I think that's six. Baron Browning is a draft pick. Yeah. That's seven. Chase is eight. Yeah. Uh, if we count Tyreek as a starting defensive end, I don't know if Jonathan Cooper is or not. Um, I think he's borderline. He's, I, I don't know. Tyreek is. Yeah. And then I'm not sure if, if Davon Hamilton or Robert Landers are or not. I don't think so. So that's at least eight or nine. Harold well, what said about, and, what's uh, six. And that's if we're starting starters. Jay Sean Cornell. Jay Sean Cornell, mm, I think, is borderline. Um I mean, he's a he's a three tech who can pass rush. That's in demand. People like that with Draymond, and Draymond maybe didn't go as high as some people thought. I think I think Jayshon Cornell could be a six or seven a sixth round pick. pick. Yeah, that's ten. More than six. Does Dobbins have the best stiff arm game you have seen? That was a no. good stiff arm. It was a fantastic stiff but arm. But no. Um, who has a better stiff arm game? Who did we just see in Alabama? Oh, Najee Harris. <laughs> <laughs> there are still people on the ground. We just saw that. Cleats. Cratered a guy's head. Can we forget Najee that quickly? About my, uh, my question about the national title game. Impossible, Doug. You can't get to the natty at 9-3. and three. Uh, Fields accuracy looked a bit off. Let's see. Let's, let's see. Let's see. Let's see. Let's see. Um, uh, there's a lot of like theoretical stuff with Urban. Does anyone still believe in the end of the trap game? Um, I do. I still believe this is a trap. It could be trap. Who really believed it was in the first place? I mean, I believe of, that because the, the the highway is busy, we might get trapped in get, Indiana. We did. There's a, there's ridiculous construction in Indiana. So yeah, I believe it's a trap. Yeah. Uh, Taco Bell and Popeyes would be an awesome combo. Oh, Brandon from San Antonio. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think oh, we're we totally do that about that. We can yeah. do that midweek because we're going to have a nonsense shenanigans podcast midweek. What is your best combo of fast food places? Taco but, Bell. But and there's already Taco Bell. Okay, we'll save it. But there's already talk about KFC. So talk about Popeyes. It's not that different. Yeah. Is Ohio State the best team or the second best team in your opinion? I still think you have to go with the Patriots with Brady and Belichick from the 248. Um, it does make me want to watch. Like I said, I don't watch college football that much in my spare time because I like to go to uh, you know my daughter's cross country meets. Um, this made me want to go watch Clemson. Like this makes yes. me want to go start comparing. 
Okay, so can I can I say because I've I've watched their game, not live, yes. but I've I've seen I do watch other things because I'm twenty. You know, yeah, I don't have kids and things. So um, Trevor Lawrence, I think, and it's part of the idea of why I said the T word today. Trevor Lawrence, we all know he's going to be number one pick in two years. All these things, yeah, 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 those are all great. But he's also had some, he's had some, like, a multiple games of what Justin Fields did today, where they were, those are, like, deadly mistakes if you're playing. Missing guys, maybe? Not missing, throwing interceptions. Really? Like, he didn't need to throw some throws where he should have just thrown the ball away and he was trying to make a play that wasn't there. Like, obviously all the potential is there, but he hasn't looked like the guy that, in the first three weeks, I think ETN has clearly been their best player. Um, and then Tua is just hard to tell because they've got too many weapons that you can't really get a real evaluation yeah. of what he is. But Trevor, I think, has made a lot of the same second-year quarterback mistakes that like Justin Fields is making as a first-year quarterback right now. Interesting. Which uh, is, yeah, which is why like I, which is why I wasn't that surprised when you still gave him a day. For as good as Justin Fields looked, he overthrew his receivers several times. Is that simply a game experience issue or something with his throwing motion? Your good friend Joel Klatt, and again, I prefer if you would say your best friend Joel Klatt, <laughs> said it is an issue with his throwing motion. That's interesting. Fields um, said it was actually not speed. so much the throwing motion, it's his speed. Said. He feels like he isn't setting his feet correctly. And I think with someone with his talents that are that, where he's still kind of refining those talents to be a, a full-time quarterback at this level, that makes a lot of sense to me. That, you know, because you're, so much of your life as a quarterback, your brain has been wired to use those feet in a different way than just set yourself and distribute the ball. And so that's one of those things where I, I it's, it's good that he recognizes that. I'm sure someone probably told him. I'm sure Ryan Day or, you know, his quarterback, somebody else told him that. But, again, watch that on film. See what he does with it next week. From the 3-3-0, do you think Fields being a run threat is opening things up for Dobbins or that Dobbins just isn't in his head as much anymore? You wrote about this, Nathan, before the game, looking back, J.K. Dobbins in 2017 as a freshman when he was working with J.T. Barrett. How much do you think Dobbins is or isn't helped by a legitimate run threat in the zone read at quarterback? I think he's helped. Um, I think you saw it. You definitely saw it when you looked back through those other games, times where the other defense was really caught on its heels, not knowing what it was supposed to do. I saw that both in the Indiana game, and then um, I also watched the Big Ten Championship game against Wisconsin, where he also had a big game. That was um, his highest rushing total, right? right someone think, mentioned yeah. today about almost getting your career higher, and he like knew exactly what his career yeah, high yeah, was. Yeah, you guys know because well, he said after the game last week, um, you had asked him, like, are you ever going to say I had a good game? And he's like, well, if we win the Big Ten Championship game like I, like we did the, the way we did the last time, something yeah. like that, like remembering, oh, yeah, with that time that I kind of ran over Wisconsin. Yeah. So I, I definitely saw instances then where it made an impact. Um, here it's a, it's, it's a little bit different because Justin Fields, even though he isn't a zone read quarterback the way Barrett was yet as far as right. just technically – I would say he's also advanced athletically Agreed. over what Barrett is. Um, so it's a different – it's what I kind of – the conclusion I kind of came to and what I wrote was that I think the same dynamic could unfold, but the formula is going to be a little bit different. Because, I mean, JT was really a magician with that stuff. I don't know that Justin's going to be yes. as much of a magician, but he's more dynamic athletic. Right. Because yeah. – the, but, they, yeah, they ask him to do other things. They ask him to be a magician in other ways potentially. 
This is Scott from Nashville. Since the Browns just recently tried to go for the high score in penalty yards last Sunday, I figured I'd ask about Ohio State penalties. Something that hasn't been talked about is how few penalties this team has. Last year, we averaged 75.4 penalty yards per game. This year, with three games under our belts, we're averaging only 44 yards per game. Um, what's up? He says, I attribute that to a more disciplined offensive line. Cough, no more Isaiah Prince. Cough, that's just mean. What is your take on this? Uh Jonah Jackson had a hold on the scramble today. I actually thought that was one of the examples. It's like, oh, I love Justin Fields scrambling around and doing stuff. And it's like, dude, your linemen have been blocking for 11 seconds. Yeah, Somebody is going – maybe it wasn't a hold. It might have been a block in the back. Somebody's going to get a penalty eventually when you do that. Yes. They do not jump offside. They do not commit holding penalties for no reason. Damon Arnett, I don't. I thought Damon Arnett like had an offensive, had a uh, pass interference penalty today, and I tweeted like, "Oh, here's Hansy Damon Arnett is back," and then everyone it. yelled at me and said it was a terrible call. I thought he was grabbing the guy the whole route. I yeah. thought he was all over it. Like I, I, I don't I, know. I, 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 thought thought about no, I thought there was another possession too where they he got away with one. So he can be Hansy, but then Damon Arnett. People have asked about Damon Arnett. Made it uh, great. Just a great someone. Someone had said said the questions like, "I'm usually a Damon Arnett hater." He played. A, he had a great. It's a great pick. That's a great smart read. I'm sure there's some film study that goes into that read, and then to break on the ball like that, it was a tremendous pick. He has a cast on his hands. He bobbled a little bit, was able to bring it in and ran yeah. it back, and then everybody got out in front of him, blocked. I think they're just. I never had a problem with the penalties because a lot of them were penalties of aggression. A lot of it with the defensive backfield last year is you're playing more man. You're getting caught. You're you're. When you're not confident, you make up for stuff by grabbing because you're unsure of yourself. You're in a bad spot. You're beat. You don't have help. You think, oh, my God, i got to grab somebody. If this defense is more comp- more confident and simpler and they're playing some zone where you can backpedal and watch the quarterback and have stuff in front of you, you don't have to turn your back and run with the guy and start getting handsy. That's a legitimate – that's a scheme-related issue of why there are fewer penalties. But I also think this offensive line has been very disciplined – for a team that has a bunch of new starters there. I did have a conversation with Jeffrey Akuda a couple weeks ago and asked him about um, the difference between kind of the, the press and the zone read, and he mentioned how much more he feels like he's able to keep his eyes on a quarterback now and, and watch these plays develop. And it's going to be interesting to see if, if that's something they can take further advantage of. I still – they haven't created a lot of turnovers yet. We kind of heard from in the preseason there's going to be all these turnovers, and that hasn't really played out, but I didn't necessarily think it was going to – be this bonanza of three to four per game. I, I think I think they, in a lot of ways, have just prevented prevented people from even like trying to do anything where you could get a turnover. Yes. they just they're yes. shutting it. They're 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 locking the door before you have a chance to turn it over. One of the benefits of these blowouts is seeing the second and third string guys of those guys who stands out the most. We talked about this a little bit in the post game uh, in a video that's going to go up on Monday. Um, Master Teague is interesting. Um, I'm trying to think defensively. I mean, Josh Proctor got some snaps today. He had a couple, like, should have got picked off. Josh Proctor is interesting every time he's on the field. Yeah. Like, nobody ever gets sick of seeing Josh Proctor. I don't think necessarily you want Jordan Fuller off the field, but no one gets sick of seeing Josh Proctor. I don't know that we saw Taraja Mitchell a ton today. Uh, I think Tommy Togiai remains interesting um, at defensive tackle. Um, And they're so deep at tight end. No, those aren't young guys necessarily, but it's interesting to see all those guys. I mean, just we. T- I think Master Teague might run for two hundred yards next week. Like, I don't mean to be hyperbolic, but like, no, it's, it's I would give 
Next week, I would give J.K. Dobbins 12 carries and give Master Teague 20 carries and see what Master Teague does. No, I think that would be the prudent thing to do for any number of reasons. Partially, though, just to kind of start, like, you have an opportunity here to really start building something for Master Teague. I mean, I think giving him that kind of workload and letting him put up a number like that and letting his name kind of get out there. I know we were talking before about, like, people getting big heads or whatever, but I think there's there's also something to be said for just kind of that confidence to, 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 to... Give a guy the opportunity to elevate himself and get noticed and make people take, be aware of him. There's something to be said about a man named Master running for 200 it's, yards. It's just an amazing name. Like, come on, man. I wish my his name voice was. His voice is, like, his voice matches his name, his play, ma- everything matches. If I could trade name names Master. of one person on this team, it'd, it'd be, be Master. Master Teague. Master means, like, come on. That would be a great Come name. on. See, Master Baird is not... It'd have to be Master Teague. I'd have to take both first and yeah. last. Your man crush, Joel Klatt, in the first quarter talked a lot about the high balls that Justin was throwing, and he's prone to that because of his throwing motion in general, and that he said Justin's release is slower than normal. Are these things fixable through coaching? Um, it's, I wanna, now we're going to ask about Ryan Day. We're going to ask Ryan Day. Maybe we'll get Mike Yersich this week. That's, if Joel Klatt's on that, I mean, Joel Klatt studies football 24 hours a day, um, except when we're at a dinner again, which is never. So I think that... I noticed that I thought the very first week, the one thing I noticed is that Justin Fields, I think, has a, has a noticeably slower release than Dwayne Haskins. And Dwayne Haskins got it to his ear and let it go and let it rip and flip like bang, back and bang. I think Justin Fields at times, especially I think maybe this is the issue with Justin Fields. Maybe this is the issue. I think when he's trying to put touch on a ball, he like slows himself down. He like slows his release down. And I think if he th- if he tries to not have a slow release, then he throws it too hard sometimes. So I think there is some stuff there. I want to talk. We're not going to get locked in. Nathan Nathan just gave a look around the corner. That was a, are we getting locked in look. There are other people still in the press box. We'll get done here in a second. I was going to cut it off at half an hour. It just flowed. We're over an hour. Oh, wow. When, it's, when it feels good, it feels good. I did not know we were here. Um, We'll ask Ryan Day. I can't. I don't. I, I don't know that right now. But if Joel Klatt was talking about it, and you guys listen to the game, watch the game, and he talked about that, we'll ask about it this week. Oh man, uh, I think we're getting near the end here. Uh, people are wondering about the uh, the accuracy. Thirty-five, twenty-one Buckeyes over Clemson. Um, two weeks ago, I texted, "Are we sure Tony Alford is a good good coach?" And are we sure J.K. Dobbins is good? My question is, am I an idiot? Uh, now you know how I'm feeling. Um, which, uh, let's see, which comes first? We'll finish with this. Which comes first, Fields 400 yards passing or JK 300 yards rushing in the game? Title game prediction is Ohio State 9, Clemson 3. May, may or may not be a veiled shot at someone's record prediction. <laughs> record prediction. Thanks for the coverage, guys, from Josh Salisbury in the 419. That's, we're almost to the first page of questions. We got through like four page of questions. I, I don't field, think we Fields see... 400 yard passing games comes first because... Um, you know, he doesn't have another. He doesn't have a master team taking away his yards. But the, even if he did, didn't like. Do you know how hard it is to get the three hundred yards rushing? Yes, I don't. We talked about I think before the season. What Dwayne Haskins had eight three hundred yard passing games last year. I think. Yeah. Justin has been great, right? Justin has been great. Yeah. He hasn't thrown for more than like two hundred forty yards. No. Two forty three or whatever the high was. Um, I mean, he's not getting. I mean, and he's not getting taken out in the, in, after the first series of the third quarter. I mean, he's staying in until the fourth quarter. This offense is like really proficient and really getting it done. Um, and it isn't there's like, enough balance to it. I don't bigger. know. I don't know when the first 300 yard 
Justin 300 yards. Forget 400 yards. I'm not sure when we see a 300-yard passing game from Justin Fields. He might have, like, between 230 and 260. I think it could happen next week. Ten times. No, I don't think it happens. I think it happens when they get challenged. Because part of it is... He might come out at halftime next week. Yeah, so it's not going to happen next week. It'll happen in a week. You don't think he can throw for 300 yards? I don't. I don't. Just because, like... If if he can do that, then like whoever the running back is can run all over them as well. So yeah, like, but you throw like a little hitch to somebody and they go <laughs> yeah, seventy five right. yards. Yeah. And I just think that's a quarter of it, right I there. I think his game is going to come. Like I'm not, I'm, we're not, gonna, I'm not going to sit here and say there's going to be a game that they lose. That's going to be the Purdue loss. But I think it comes in the same type of game where like Dwayne Haskins threw for seventy three passes one week. It's like they needed him to throw seventy three passes. It's going to come in a week where they need him to throw the ball so much that it's going to end up being 300 yards just because he threw the ball that much. Like, Dwayne Haskins is constantly 35-plus passes per game. Yeah. I don't think Justin Fields has been close to 30. That's not where the offense – that's not where the offense is. Right. Ryan Day was getting a lot of questions post-game about, like, you came in with a reputation for throwing the ball. Did you think you'd run the ball this much? Again, I think, I think if you thought Ryan Day was, uh, was hell-bent on passing the ball as a head coach – it was a misread. Yeah. Ryan Day, and as Ryan Day has said, but, but this is what he's done. And, and, and again, I talked to people before the season who said this. Um, he, he does what his team does. And so Ryan Day likes giving the ball to J.K. Dobbins on 11 of the first 18 plays of a game. He is not doing that reluctantly. He is not doing that because, like, well, I feel like we have to do this, but I'd rather throw 17 of the first 18 passes or plays. He wants to do this. I think he loves, and I tweeted this during the game, I think he loves going up-tempo and getting a running back going downhill. And I think what drives him nuts and what drives him nuts about J.K., which he wants to get him off of it, I mean, when he's, when he's frustrated with J.K., he's when they get tempo, you can't dance in tempo. Like, we're going fast, we're getting the defense back on their heels, and now you're going to dance in the backfield, hit the hole, Football. lower your pads, and knock somebody over. And then we're going to get up, snap the ball in eight seconds, and do it again. I think he loves that. There is not an ounce of Ryan Day that wishes, oh, I want Dwayne back. No, he'd take Dwayne back in a second. Because everybody would take Dwayne back. Dwayne would look amazing. But he does not wish that Justin Fields was Dwayne Haskins, a Dwayne Haskins clone. Mm-hmm. You know, he's going to recruit some guys who can throw it. He's going to recruit some quarterbacks who can throw and run. I think he is very happy with this offense and what it can do. And I think it's very natural to fit him, and it's very natural for what this Ohio State team can be. But I don't think it's going to include 300 yards passing unless it's weird, unless it's a terrible opponent where they go nuts, unless it's a crazy game where they can't run the ball at all and they have to throw it 77 times. I think in the natural flow of things, it's much more 250-250. Last question, we'll finish with this. I hope you guys read my Urban Meyer stuff this week. I had to sit down with Urban. For about 45 minutes, I wrote a big story about it. I wrote a second story about uh, his TV career. I talked to the guy at Fox who hired him. I talked to Urban about it on TV. Serious question from the 813. Does Urban Meyer have supreme confidence in himself that he feels like he needs to maintain that confidence through success? Or does he feel like he is less than and he has to prove himself through success? So, like, does he does he feel like – I think he feels this. If you guys read it, I sat in Urban's office. I had always said – that I thought Urban Meyer was very – I thought he would not coach again. Before I went in his office, I would have said he will not coach again. After leaving his office, I thought he doesn't want to coach again, but he might have to coach again. That he has something in him that if he's not scratching an itch, if he's not filling his tank, if he's not feeling 
He needs to feel necessary. He needs to feel like he's doing something with his life. As I said, as soon as I turn 55, I'm going to go to Disney World and empty trash cans until I drop dead. And I'm going to be totally happy. I do not need to help people or better the world. I just need to make myself happy. That's me. Urban Meyer wants to do more. So read that story. But I don't think it's that he needs the ego boost of it. I think it's that he like feels empty inside if he feels like... Bored? I think it's bored, but I also feel it's like, what, what, my, what is the worth of my life if my life is like going for a walk, playing golf, playing with my grandkids, but that's it. He wants to do those things, but he wants to feel on a daily basis like, I also did something productive for the world today, however he f- views the world. And so... If he can't do that by teaching a leadership class or talking to captains of other sports or coaching up other coaches at Ohio State or doing corporate speaking or doing TV, if he can't get that feeling, then I think he'll have to coach again. But I wrote all about it. Please go read it at cleveland.com. Read all our stories at cleveland.com because here's the deal. We're writing some great stuff. We started this week where we're putting up four or five things every morning, analysis, really smooth, easy reads about this team 400 words, 450 words, analysis pieces about what matters to you guys, about what's going on with the Buckeyes. We're still going to have big takeouts. We're still going to have little, tiny, interesting things. We're still going to do videos. We're still going to do this podcast. But go read those stories because, to be honest, our numbers are down from where we were a couple years ago. Um, Part of that is, like, people are reading our Browns coverage at our site so much that, like, it smothers everything else, which is great. Our Browns team is awesome. But we're also awesome, and we want more people to read our stories. So if you listen to this podcast and you don't ever go to cleveland.com, I ask a lot of you guys. I do. I ask you to pay 4 bucks a month for tech stuff, and I'm asking you to go to our website. But that's how we stay employed. I made a big deal about, hey, we're going to have ads in the podcast, and I think nobody heard an ad in the podcast from the one <laughs> on Wednesday. I think they haven't slid in yet. So text me, email me, um, tweet me. If you do hear an ad, I don't know when they're going to show up. I hope they start showing up. But you can help us by reading stories at cleveland.com and help yourself. They're good stuff. I wouldn't direct you there if it wasn't good. Cleveland.com slash OSU. And if you haven't tried our tech stuff, please try it. Cleveland.com slash OSU. You'll see the ads for it. It's $3.99 a month. You get a couple texts a day from me. It helps you interact more with the podcast. Projecttext.com slash Buckeye Talk. Any parting thoughts, fellas? Uh, A corollary to that. If you haven't followed me on Twitter, if you're on Twitter... At N.W. Baird. Uh, I need more followers there from Ohio State people. I need, well, more, more than followers, I need, like, more interaction. I want to hear more from you guys and gals and uh, whatever other designation you use and uh, to, to talk about this team and, and where it's going and what you want to see more of. Follow me on Twitter at Stephen underscore means um, and read our stuff. No, it's it. I mean, it's it. You know. like, I'm laughing, but, like, that's just how I deal with things. But seriously, read our stuff. Yeah. Um, so listen again, without that podcast, that was just like sliding right out of us. So we got Miami of Ohio next week, then we're going to Nebraska, then Michigan State, then a bye. This team is interesting. We're going to start placing them in a national context even more because that's the level they're playing at. Um, and they're good. They're good. They're better than I thought they would be. They look really good. And, and like I, I'm, all, I'm here for all the 9-3 and three jokes. Like that's not a 9-3 and three team. And like I'm not going to like – Dwell on it, but like that's not a nine and three. That might even be eleven and one. I mean, that's like I, I, I put Clemson, Alabama, in my headline after the game because if that's it, I said that if that's their upside, they're showing their upside. 
It doesn't mean that Nebraska and Michigan State and Penn State, Michigan and, and Northwestern and Wisconsin are going to let you do that. But that's what you're showing us what you can be. That upside can play with anybody. That upside can play with anybody. Now we see how many weeks out of 12 can they hit their upside. And other teams will have a lot to say about that. But defensively, offensively, run game, pass game, there is not, there's not something they can't do. And so let's start figuring out where they fit with Alabama and Clemson because if it continues like this, that's who they're going to be playing at the end of the year. For Stephen Means and Nathan Baird, I'm Doug Maurice. Thanks so much to you guys. Again, try the tech stuff. Make sure you're going to cleveland.com slash OSU. We're out of here from Bloomington. And that was Buckeye Talk.